1: Today on the ZABEcast, mayhem in the MMA. Good for the sport or great for the sport? Week five in the NFL, the Chiefs and Rams stay perfect while the Eagles and Packers are in big trouble. The Brewers cannot lose. It's 11 in a row, and they are through to the NLCS. All that plus Dicker the Kicker and the cure for hot balls. It is your essential cup of sports nutrition, and it starts right now. Here we go. Monday, October 8, 2018. Thank you for the download. The ZabeCast will be your essential day starter. A 45-minute run through the most interesting and relevant things in sports and beyond. Not comprehensive, mind you, but certainly essential. All right, let's start out in the desert where UFC 229 was spectacular. Oh, I know, I did not watch it. Uh, I, I, I don't have buddies that get these fights. I don't live close enough to anybody to go, you know, gather around and go, let's watch the fights. Although this one would have been a good one to to be a part of. I mean, it, it had everything. It had a bloody brawl uh, in one of the undercard fights, Pettis versus Ferguson. They said that round two of that fight was as good as anything you would see. Uh, they had Derek Lewis, uh, the heavyweight, with the interview of all time afterwards in which he explained why he took his pants off before being interviewed by Joe Rogan. We'll get to that bite in just a second. But the main event was something else as Conor McGregor went down, tapped out to Russian the, the, the Russian bear, Khabib Nurmagomedov. This was a hell of a fight. And then, of course, once McGregor tapped out, that's when the fun really began. Uh, The melee began when two uh, men, maybe three of them associated with Nurmagomedov, uh, were arrested for starting shit after the fight. And Nurmagomedov for himself, or Habib, uh, jumped out of the octagon to go after somebody who was believed to be a training partner of one Conor McGregor. According to Michael McCann of SI.com, there are a variety of legal implications that could affect both fighters because neither one of whom are an American citizen. So their legal capacity to remain in and later lawfully re-enter the U.S. is contingent upon law-abiding behavior. Hey, wait a minute, Zabe. Wasn't McGregor the guy that threw a, a trolley or, or a dolly, a handcart through a bus window uh, and, almo- and injured several fighters with glass shards to, yeah, yeah, that was, you know, at the press event to to hype this fight. And by the way, uh, those charges were knocked down to misdemeanors, of course. Video from the arena indicates the incident started almost immediately after Habib, who was the reigning and still undefeated UFC lightweight champion, forced McGregor to tap out. That was when Nurmagomedov jumped out of the octagon, appeared to race toward McGregor's friend and fellow fighter, Dylan Danis. That was when McGregor realized what's happening. He attempted to catch up with Nurmagomedov, climbing up the octagon fence himself. McGregor, though, is stopped by security. He then encounters two men who are reportedly affiliated with the Russian bear, who had entered the octagon around the same time that their champion fighter, Nurmagomedov, I can't say that any more times without fucking up, had exited. According to video evidence, McGregor may, may have tried to punch the two men before they tried to punch him, Either way, it was an all-out brawl. And, of course, the reaction to this was predictable on Twitter. Tut-tut, and some people were calling the fighters who jumped into the ring to take cheap shots at McGregor total cowards. I don't know if they're total cowards. I mean, there was no guarantee, even though McGregor had just seconds earlier tapped out of a fight and was exhausted and spent and disoriented and outnumbered in that ring. You never know. I mean, you're, you're taking on uh, uh, an MMA fighter. But, okay, whatever. I guess these guys are, are trainers or they are fighters themselves. Mike Tyson tweeted at the, that the scene was even crazier than how his 1997 fight against Evander Holyfield ended when Tyson bit off part of his ear. i do a Mike Tyson impersonation. I don't have a good one. High-pitched voice, you get it, and a lisp, okay, great. In the presser that followed, Nerma apologized to the Nevada Athletic Commission and to the city of Las Vegas. He tried to explain his conduct, noting that, hey, McGregor talked so much trash and crossed a line into anti Russian and anti Muslim hate speech that it was just spill- it spilled over in that moment. He talked about my religion, he talked about my country, he talked about my father. He also talked about the bus incident prior to UFC 223. Uh, McGregor, by the way, would be charged by the New York Police Department with 12 crimes, including two felonies for the incident. He later pleaded guilty to two misdemeanor disorderly conduct charges. And I guess that was that. Said Nurmagomedov, quote, he broke bus. He almost killed a couple of people. What about this shit? Then McCann goes into a long list of law implications and what could happen. And, of course, Dana White said, I I, I can't give you the belt tonight because then all mayhem's going to, you know, even further mayhem is going to break out and I may strip you of the belt and you may not fight again. Blah, blah, blah. You know none of that shit's going to happen. You know what will happen. A rematch. You damn skippy. Afterwards, McGregor tweeted out, good knock, looking forward to the rematch. And that's definitely going to happen. I mean, this is the sport as it exists. It is not for the faint of heart. It is not for the high-minded or the super moral. Any publicity is great publicity. And hell, I'm leading my podcast on an NFL Monday with it. Yeah, man, I'm pissed off. The Brewers are through, the LCS, and the Packers have all kinds of problems. And other good NFL. I'm going to get to it in a second. Jeez. It's only been five minutes, thereabouts. All right, let me get you the soundbite of one Derek Lewis after his bout. Derek Lewis, Derek, why'd you take your pants off? My balls are hot. I understand. I understand. Yeah, I just had to air them out. I mean, uh, yeah, my balls were really, really hot. Derek Lewis, Derek, why'd you take your pants off? My balls were hot. <laughs> I understand. Okay. Uh, here was, uh, this was from the uh, Twitter feed, Busted Coverage, website, bustedcoverage.com. It's a good site. Uh, this, was, this was an Instagram post from Russia of some of Habib's fans celebrating with their AK-47s.
0: Habib champion! Connor ha-
1: <laughs> You know, just random gunfire into the Russian night. No big deal. And of course there was a huge table. It looked like they were outside. Huge table. Uh, in which they were all drinking vodka or something. Lots of drinks on the table. Looked freezing cold. It's Russia, of course. And, uh, yeah, they're proud that their guy won. By the way, is there an EA Sports curse for MMA? Because both Conor McGregor and Ronda Rousey appeared on the cover of EA Sports' video game for UFC and MMA, and both of them lost after long layoffs. Of course, McGregor was off for a while because he was training to box uh, Floyd Mayweather Jr. Floyd Mayweather Jr.? Yeah. And then he uh, came back to the octagon and he got beat. But don't worry, McGregor still has his proper 12 uh, bourbon or whiskey, which he is now touting, so he's got that business line going as well. Next fight, next big one, and maybe the rematch on this, I'm definitely in. All right, let's talk some football. And let's talk about the Packers losing in Detroit. What a shit show this was. Aaron Rodgers lost two fumbles first time, or only like the third time in his NFL career that's happened. There was a punt muff that ended up first and goal for the Lions, which, of course, replay didn't help you on this one. Now, did it, you replay fans? Did it look to you? Like that play was called correctly. Did it look to you like Kevin King touched the ball or that it was somebody else on the lions who touched the ball and deflected it? You had 10 missed points from Mason Crosby more on him in just a second. And you had basically your wide receiver core decimated. Although give Devontae Adams big credit. He played while hurt and racked up big numbers. Uh, Marvez. Valdez, Scantling, nah, seven catches for 68 yards. Equinemia St. Brown, three for 89. Did I say Marvez? Mark, Marquez. I'm going to put my glasses on this late at night. I would have liked more Aaron Jones. God, does that guy run hard and shifty. Seven carries for 40 yards, uh, 5.7 a pop. But without Cobb, without Allison, and given the situation, you're like, Okay. What a a shit show that was with 10 missed points, three field goals. Actually, three field goals and an extra point. They did get a field goal from Crosby at the end. And you're like, this game should have been close. This was a winnable game. And now the, the focus is going to be on McCarthy. And I don't want to be the guy that says, I told you so, or peacock it or rub it in, but this guy is going to get fired the cake has been baked his goose is cooked he's just not that good he's not terrible but he is not getting this team ready to play on a week in week out basis and now there's turbulence with rodgers and mccarthy that will likely be in the packers own subtle way cuz they don't like to splash this stuff you know out on their front porch is likely going to be the undoing even though CEO Mark Murphy said he's got confidence based on their track record together that the two men will be able to thrive together, uh, it is now out there. It's in the bloodstream. Also, why was McCarthy rolling Crosby out for a 56-yarder on fourth and 15? I know you're down 11. Three minutes, 40 seconds to go. It makes sense, I suppose. Well, if he makes this, we're only down seven. We got a lot of time left. He's not going to make it. It's a 56-yarder. 56, 56, 56 Yarder. So, should the Packers get a new kicker? Well, normally I'd say of course. Problem is, there's really nobody good out there. There There's several teams that have already blown through not one but two kickers, and they're probably still searching. The Browns are one of those. They cashed out Zane Gonzalez early in the year. They got this kid, Greg Joseph, who stinks. And they somehow won a game on a Greg Joseph knuckleball. That was one of the ugliest game-winning kicks you've ever seen. The Vikings already cashed out Daniel Carlson, although the Packers may want to give him a call. And I went back and looked two years earlier at just, you know, some of the worst kickers in the league, Chandler Catanzaro, Blair Walsh, Roberto Aguayo, they're all out of the league right now, as far as I can tell. Now, the year-by-year on Crosby goes like this. First of all, Crosby uh, is making a pretty good paycheck this year. And I got, they got to look at spot track to see what his numbers are, but he's uh 34 years old, or as Goldie would say in his age, 34 season. And he had come into the game having hit 10 of 11 field goals. So it's not like he was kicking poorly going into this game. And it's not like he kicked poorly in the game. He just was missing last year. Uh, he was not good. Uh, Mason Crosby, below his career average of 80% at 78.9%. And he was a full eight points off of his 2016 number, which was 86%. Of course, last year he kicked almost you know 50% fewer field goal attempts because, as you recall, without Aaron Rodgers, the offense sucked. So you were never in field goal position. <laughs> Excuse me, last year he was 15 of 19. Uh, the year before that, 2016... Crosby was 26 or 30 at this point. I would say, no, don't cash out Crosby because I mean, you, you you need somebody and I, unless he's hurt, although maybe even if he is hurt, I just, I don't think you're going to get anyone better at this point. I really don't considering all the bad kickers that are around the league, but back to McCarthy and the uh, coaching of this team. Got a couple of tweets from people saying, uh, first one was, I think we're going to look back on these last couple of years and realize this team was never that good. It was just that Aaron Rodgers was that amazing. And when he is not amazing, the team sucks lots of work to do. I think that could definitely be the case. This one uh, from another uh, listener, sorry, but a well-coached football team, Zabe, does not fall down by multiple scores early almost every single week. Yeah, I know, it's early, and yeah, I know, they got time to come back. But why does it always have to be a comeback after falling behind so early? Players aren't doing their job, and neither are the coaches. It's going to be a rough week. But don't forget, he's a highly successful football coach, and he is always going to remind you of that. All right, let's go around the league for some other scores and news from the NFL. And the game of the weekend... The most interesting, exciting game had to be the Panthers topping the Giants 33-31 to on a 63-yard bomb from Graham Gano at the gun, or with just seconds left. Wow, wow, wow. That was something else. And of course, the Panthers said, Here, you want the game? Have the game. Throwing the ball way too much when they were leading in the fourth quarter. But okay, whatever. Giants did the same. There's a lot of bad plays back and forth. And, of course, Odell Beckham Jr. and his interview with Josina Anderson and Lil Wayne by his side was a big subplot of this particular game. Beckham himself had a little bit of everything in this game, some good, but then some horrible as well. As you look at what happened in this game, you know, Beckham, uh, where did I put this uh, tab? God damn, where's the tab, people? Can't find the tabs when I need them. Uh, oh, I know what I did. I cut and pasted it. Here we go. All right, so let's see. Oh, no, I wrote it down on a piece of paper. See, this is the problem. I've got some script written. I've got some stuff on a piece of paper, and I have some stuff in browser tabs. So let's see. Beckham made a great catch, a one-handed catch behind him going up sky high. He botched a punt coverage play in which he tried to block a gunner at the last second and a ball hit his leg, went for a touchdown. He dropped a fourth down pass that would have been a very key moment in the game, dropped a touchdown pass that was fairly well contested, caught a touchdown pass that was equally well contested, and then, of course, caught a, a, threw a touchdown pass uh, to Saquon Barkley. But bet most of all, you've got Odell Beckham Jr. now teaching other receivers like Sterling Shepard to go ahead and throw tantrums when they are upset, when they're triggered, when they uh, cannot cope with their emotions on the sidelines. Because Shepard decided, oh, well, he's allowed to throw a fit. I'm allowed to throw a fit. So I'm going to punch the bench. I'm going to grab uh, a garbage can and horse collar it and whatever. The Giants are now 1-4, and four and they are done. Done for the year. Oh, I know what you're going to say. Oh, uh, you know. Don't write them off just yet. There's a lot of season left. What is the puff on teams that are one and four? Probably pretty damn low. And they're going to be mopping up this o- Odell Beckham Jr. stuff all week long once the media gets their teeth into it starting early this morning on a Monday. God, is it great. I am so happy for this. You have no idea. So here's the Odell Beckham Jr. I want to play two quotes for you. Uh, The first one is simple, which is, okay, what is the problem, Odell Beckham Jr.?
0: What is holding you back? I just haven't been in the situation. I haven't been in the place where I feel like I can really go out and do everything that I'm capable of doing. I don't get 20 targets like some other receivers. So is it the offense? Is it the scheme when you talk about you're not putting a Everything at the moment. It's just everything. It's just everything. And not to say that it's not going to work, but at the moment, uh, I feel like I work
1: entirely way too hard. (laughs) Isn't that what you want to hear from a guy you just backed up the truck to pay him a ton of money? I feel like I work entirely too hard. Okay. Let's ask about whether or not you feel happy here in New York City.
0: want you be honest? Are you truly happy in New York? <laughs> it's a tough question. Um, obviously, you know I love I love seeing the sunshine all the time. I love being in L.A. I just like that atmosphere. But this is where I'm at. This is where I'll be at. I remember before games, I used to get butterflies. Like good butterflies. Like I them. Anxious and now when I step on the field like it's something completely different. Mm. It's not butterflies Like it's like I want to be here like I'm I've been waiting I've been waiting to get here this whole time I feel like a cage animal who gets this This is my 60 minutes of playtime. I could play with other people we can play nice or we don't have to play nice But like I get to play and mm. I get to do all this This is my this is my time to be out the cage if somebody's messing with me during my time to be out the cage like mm. It's gonna be a problem
1: what on earth does that even mean? Did, did you understand any of that other than him hesitating to say, are you happy in New York? He, the answer should be, of course I am. I just got paid. We've got Saquon Barkley. I'm going to keep working with Eli on ways to, you know, be better together. I There's nowhere I want to be than here. They just paid me. How would you like to be the Giants? I, 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 you know what? Never mind. This is so good. This is so good. And the Jets won, and uh, Sam Darnold may end up haunting the New York Giants for years to come for passing on him. But, man, I don't understand why, and I had to ask this on Twitter. I said, so what was Lil Wayne doing there? Like, he was just sitting there, like really close, and just kind of nodding his head and being the amen choir for all of Odell Beckham Jr.'s little gripes about this, that, and the other. And I'm like, is that his agent? Apparently, I guess Lil Wayne is getting into the agenting business, or at least he's representing some athletes in some capacity. Someone else said that Lil Wayne's got an album that's coming out now, so maybe that's part of it. Either way, it was just very weird. And the weirdest thing was ESPN didn't explain it to you, the viewer. Even on the YouTube channel, which was ESPN's own YouTube channel where they've got all the details, You know, Odell Beckham Jr. and Lil Wayne sit down to talk to Josina Anderson. And I'm reading, 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 reading. Like, why? the fuck is he talking? Why do we need to see him sitting there? What's the connection here? I, I don't get it. Shouldn't ESPN at least explain it? Like, yeah, and by the way, uh, Lil Wayne has a new album out. I guess the two of them, both, both Odell Beckham Jr. and Lil Wayne, are from New Orleans. So they've been friends for a long time, which is great. And if Odell wants to sit his rapper buddy down next to him while he airs his grievances about what he's not getting or how many targets he should have and yada, 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 or working way too hard, then, yeah, let him sit there. But just explain it to me. Like, yeah, yeah a little way was in the neighborhood and said he wanted to come by. Oh, yeah, Odell Beckham Jr. also has a massive amount of leg tattoos. Like, I had never known this until I saw him in this interview. He was sitting down, and he had shorts on, and I'm like looking, I'm squinting going, holy shit, look at all that. So, New York Giants, you keep doing what you do best, which is everything wrong when it comes to building a team. All hail <laughs> the New York Giants! New York Giants! All right, some other games uh, from the weekend. Uh, Bill's Edge, the Titans, 13-12, to your final there. The Bills are the most maddening team in the league. You're like, do they suck or are they kind of competent? Who knows? Uh, There was a play in this game in which Jerry Hughes had a sack on Marcus Mariota and let him go. I believe, although I may be wrong, I believe this is the second time in Mariota's career in which a guy has had him wrapped up and let him go. A catch and release. This happened a couple years ago. I think I'm pretty sure it was Mariota. I'm pretty I know it was a Titans game. I can't remember exactly who it was. But it's of course about the rules. Said Hughes after the game, I made an inside move, I'm underneath the quarterback at that point. When I go to wrap him up, when I go to wrap him up, I'm naturally low, so I'm naturally underneath you. If I pick him up and finish him, it's a 15-yard penalty and they might score a touchdown on the drive. It's a tough situation to be in. I'm very thankful our secondary played lights out all day and got us off the field. Yes, Mariota scrambled away from the catch and release and threw a ball downfield that ended up in the end zone was almost caught for a touchdown. Afterward, Hughes said he asked the official what could have been done. Quote, I spoke to the white hat and he told me just to wrap up and drive him backwards and they'll blow the whistle and mark his forward progress. Now I know for the future. I found myself in a very vulnerable position And what do you do? Do you just finish the tackle or hold on to him? Now I know. I'm going to just take a deep breath here so as to not fucking vomit thinking about this. Quote, I found myself in a very vulnerable position. I didn't know what to do. I had the other team's quarterback wrapped up. I wanted to sack him, but I knew that might hurt him. And by the way, I'm not mocking Jerry Hughes. I mean, Jerry Hughes probably made the percentage play. It was probably smart to do that. And Jerry Hughes might get fined if he tackles Mariota too hard. It's one thing to get a penalty that costs your team potentially a touchdown or potentially the game. Having the league steal money out of your pocket, even worse. And don't say it couldn't or wouldn't or didn't ever happen because... Chiefs running back Kareem Hunt, it was announced on Friday, was fined $26,739 for unnecessary roughness, stemming from what the NFL's head of referees, Alberto Riveron, said was illegal lowering of the helmet against the Broncos. You may remember the play from last week. It was an awesome 100% football play. Kareem Hunt breaking through a tackle into the open field, sees a defender square up on him, lowers his helmet, hits the truck stick button, and boom, away he goes. That's now finable. It was not actually penalized on the play, but he was fined $26,739, which, by the way, is almost 5% of his annual salary because Kareem Hunt, despite now being a front-line A-list, Top running back in the league had the misfortune of being misdrafted out of Toledo. He was taken in the third round of the draft a couple of years ago and the sixth running back overall taken. Is that his fault? No. So he's on his rookie deal, which gave him like three point one million dollars guaranteed, spread out over four years. His base salary is five forty eight or something like that, five seventy five. And the NFL just comes in for an awesome play and says, Yeah, we'll take twenty six grand. Thanks. And do you ever wonder why the fine amounts was were so oddly specific, like $26,739? I'm going to get to the bottom of this. I'm going to ask somebody, why are they so oddly specific? I think there's a reason for it. I think the league likes it that way, to imply some sort of precise scale that allows them to justify this thievery of their own players. Because if you just go, he was fine, 25 grand for an What? You just took 25 grand from him? Like, if you make it an even round number, I think to the average fan, it makes it look like you're just pulling it out of your ass. Yeah, give me 25 grand. That was a that was a dirty play. When you have these specific numbers, and, and the numbers, by the way, I know they're agreed upon by the Players Association. But this, I still make a big deal of this. It, it's small change compared to what people are used to seeing for fines. But it's still real money. And some of these guys, not all of these guys blow 26 grand in a weekend at a club. Some of these guys are like, "Fuck. That's bullshit. I would have rather gotten the 15-yard penalty than to have a, fit, you know, 5% of my salary taken away for a play that most people would deem awesome." Uh, let's see here, Browns beat the Ravens 12-9, to Joe Flacco sucked in this game, the Browns won the game, lost the game, won the game, lost the game then finally won the game on an awful knuckleball field goal that I talked about earlier, this kid uh, Greg Joseph, he's probably going to get cut after k- kicking that game winner, but it was absolute garbage and the old and busted narrative of these Ravens are pretty good man, their offense is good, no now it's like Joe Flacco sucks, the offense stinks, what's going on here? Chiefs beat the Jaguars 30 to 14 and it was not close. They roll to 5 and 0 along with the LA Rams. The Vikings beat the Eagles to put them in trouble. I love it. Kirk Cousins was outstanding in this game and I was uh I was reading some tweets from guys like Paul Allen, the voice of the Vikings, saying no matter what happens this year, I'm glad that Kirk Cousins is our quarterback. He was fantastic today. The Vikings, you know, we we had said all along, a lot of us had said, a lot of us, Kirk Jerk said, you know, this guy's really good. You know, he may not be this, he may not be that, but he's really good. He's a professional quarterback. Wait till you see him with a running game and a defense. And guess what? The Vikings have neither this year. They can't run it and they don't have a defense and he's still putting up great numbers. Granted, by the way, everyone's putting up great numbers in this current league that we live in, but Kirk is putting up really good numbers. Eagles are 2-3, and three, and yes, they are in trouble. Someone said the stat of former defending champs that start out 2-3, and three, it's not a good indicator. And Scotland called this one. He said he was worried about his Eagles in this spot, and so he sure was right. Cardinals beat the Niners 28-18. I don't care about that game. Uh, C.J. Beathard is not an NFL quarterback, and so even sad sack winless teams like the Cardinals can roll into the Niners' home stadium and beat them, which they did. The Jets killed the Broncos 34-16. to Vance Joseph is definitely not having the time of his life. A uh, bunch of long touchdown plays here, and the Broncos continue to be absolutely terrible in the Eastern time zone. And Case Keenum stinks on ice. You should know that by now. My lock was a winner again this week. That's 5-0, and oh, people. The Steelers ripped the Falcons 41-17. to 17. The real story in this game, two things. One, Julio Jones was held without a catch and without a target and without any yards until very late in this game. I mean, to the point where you, as a Julio Jones fantasy owner, had to be like, what the fuck is going on here? A Steelers defense that couldn't stop anybody in the last couple of weeks, and Julio Jones is getting blanked in this game? Now the real story in this game was so my lock is now five and zero, right? I told you on Friday I'm like this is it Steelers five and zero come on now. I go to Charlestown Raceway and Casino, Charlestown Hollywood Casino in Charlestown, West Virginia, with my boy one account Rhodesy on Saturday night just because we're losers that are married with kids and you know we're like yeah it's twenty five minutes away let's go and have some wings, watch some games, bet on some sports at the new sports book, maybe play some blackjack. He did, I didn't. And so we go there, and I'm ready to bet the Steelers for 100 bucks. But the f- line was minus 3, which I was fine with, but the payout odds were minus 120, not minus 110. Now, you might go, what does that mean? I don't understand the difference. Standard payout VIG, or the 10% juice the house takes, is you bet a team either with the points or you know, laying the points, and... The number is minus 110. You have to wager $110 to win 100. The 10% is what the casino gets on your losses uh, as their commission. They're vigorous. The vigorous, the vig, the juice. It's how they stay in business. They win either way, basically. Not not either way, but they they win plenty. Sometimes they move the odds. They don't move the point spread. Sometimes they will wait what you lay. And so I'm sitting there staring at it. It was only one of two games, I think, in which the uh, payout was minus 120 instead of minus 110. And it just fucking bothered me. Somehow Mr. X's uh, voice rang out in my head, don't do that. Come on, you're a sucker. Pick another game. Why would you lay 20% vigorous on a single game just because it's a point spread that the casino doesn't want to move, but they want to wait the payout? So I didn't bet the side. I bet the total. The total is 58. And, oh, look at that. 41-17, your final, thanks to a Steeler fumble recovery that was uh, kept in bounds in the end zone by, like, one inch. And I'm like, yes. And there was still, like, three minutes to go. And I'm like, eh, maybe the Steeler's up comfortably now, give up an easy, cheap touchdown, and I'll, I'll win that bet. Eh, it's a push. Get my money back. Speaking of money, so the 50 bucks was on that total. The other 50 bucks was on the Bengals. Minus the six, I played it because Scott Lynn, who's normally good on his locks, said the Bengals were a lock. Well, the Bengals were getting their asses handed to them, 17 to nothing, and I'm thinking, this one is never coming home. And then in the fourth quarter, the Bengals get not one, but two DFTDs off of lineman deflected helmet shots, and they win by 10, 27 to 17. That's the classic case of wrong side, wrong side, wrong side, wrong side, right side, winner. Had it all along. Chargers beat the Raiders 26-10. to 10. I did not see much of that game. I was entertaining guests in the 4 o'clock window and also trying to keep an eye on the Brewers, who we'll get to in just a second. The Rams beat the Seahawks 33-31. Ah, oh, this upset was looking really good. I said Seahawks straight up upset, but take them plus the seven. At least my plus seven came home. That was my second favorite pick of the week. And the Rams moved to five and zero uh, as they are the favorites in the NFC, along with the Chiefs and the AFC. Uh, at this point, being both five and zero to make it to the Super Bowl, and the Texans beat the Cowboys nineteen to sixteen in overtime with uh, you know less than two minutes to go on a field goal. Uh, there was multiple goal line stands by the Dallas Cowboys in this game. A lot of bitching about play calling on both sides of the ball, both both with the Texans and the Cowboys. And it looks like uh, it looks like Deshaun Watson is slowly getting better. DeAndre Hopkins had a massive game, and he is just a bad ass mofo. Which brings us to Saints Redskins tonight, Monday Night Football. It's Saints minus six and a half, I believe. Hard to believe my Redskins will win tonight. I think they got a chance, though. I really do. And even though Peterson's going to play, it looks like he was cleared Sunday. And it looks like uh, Josh Norman will play, although he has not been playing well as of late. It doesn't look like Josh Doxon will play. And this is a larger discussion that we're going to have to have as Redskins fans, you and me, for my Redskins fan listeners, after this game is over, assuming that Josh Doxon does not play, in week five of an NFL season in which he was coming off a bye week and somehow he managed to get hurt. All right, a couple more thoughts on bad calls. Do I have time here? Yeah, it's getting a little bit late. The horseshit calls in the NFL are getting so hard to tolerate from week to week, but we tolerate them anyway because the NFL continues to be a wild ride, a spectacle like nothing else. And what are we going to do on Sundays? Not watch the NFL? No, it's not going to happen. For those of you who email me and say, I did it, walked away years ago. Don't miss it. Good for you. I can't do that. I won't do that. So here's what I'm thinking. There's a couple uh, couple of plays. The Giants got called for a roughness penalty in which a DB closed on the ball, had his hands on the ball to break up a pass attempt, but it looked like a missile shot, and so they got called for it. Totally brutal. The Falcons got a gift call when a Steeler lineman dove at the leg of Matt Ryan and just glanced him, basically glanced his ankle, didn't even hit him that hard, and Matt Ryan kind of stumbled and took one knee, and they're like, flag. And it just went on and on and on. I mentioned the uh, you know call with uh, Jerry Hughes letting go Marcus Mariota. How do we cope with these things? I mean, the league, I think, loves it. The TV ratings are sadly up. All these scores are, I mean, the passing numbers are through the roof in the NFL This year predictably so now maybe with the weather turning that will come back into shape, but uh, the new rules are clearly having an effect. I don't know what to do. I guess I just have to swallow hard and deal with it because every game has several really bad calls or replays that are not correct. Like I'm firmly in the camp that replay did not correctly overturn the muff fumble in the Packer game. But what do I know, right? These are, these are things that are just going to happen. The NFL has more chance now than ever. It has more stupid than ever. But there's no way I'm going to be able to quit the NFL. One last thing on stupid. So Pinktober is gone. Welcome to Tober. The NFL moved away from the pinkification of October. And instead their crucial catch campaign is uh, a rainbow of colors to signify all of the cancer colors and all of the cancer ribbons. Can I groan any louder on this? <laughs> right. My friend, or at least I thought he was my friend, Paul Lucas over at UniWatch, great website, In a guy who loves the details and nuances of uniforms as much if not more than anybody. Hell, he created a website just for it. I tweeted out after somebody, you know, talked about this being multicolored-tober, I tweeted out, I responded by saying, it's everything slusivity. It's everything slusivity. Look, it's the rainbow of everything. And Paul tweeted back, you know it's for cancer research, don't you? With that unmistakable tut-tutting tone that you can hear coming right through the Twitter feed. Tut-tut, tut-tut. And I'm like, okay, I am for cancer research, but I am against these butt-ass ugly patches. No, 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 no. Plus, I'm just not so sure about the concept anymore. It, at least when you were pandering to female fans with your pinkification of October and breast cancer, sure, it was at the exclusion of all these other cancers, many of which are even more horrible and... and. Uh, Hideous than breast cancer. Of course, I'm against all cancer. Let me just say that right out of the gate. So they got away from the pandering, but now it's like, so what's the message? Hey, man, watch out for cancer. Okay, got it. So what should we be doing? Getting checkups. All right, I'll do that then. With who? Oh, my doctor. Right, I'll definitely do that. And just the rainbow. <sighs> Whatever, I'm not going to go crazy over it. I will grow, go crazy over the fact that my friends in Milwaukee have to be losing their minds. The Brewers beat the Rockies 6 nothing to advance to the NLCS with home field advantage starting Friday night in Milwaukee. Wow. That's 11 wins in a row. Seven in a row to catch the Brewers in a one-game playoff at Chicago to beat the the Cubs. Did I say to catch the Brewers? 11, seven in a row to catch the Cubs to force them into a one-game playoff for the NL Central title. Go to Chicago and beat the Cubs at Wrigley to win the Central. Then they win the first two at home against the Rockies, holding them to like two runs in those two games. And then they shut them out in a frigid and drizzly game three in Colorado, 6 nothing. Wade Miley, great outing. The lefty went four and two-thirds, kept everything nicely in check, scattered a few hits around, kept them off the board. Big home runs from Aguilar. Uh, Even Arcia hit a home run, and he's not a good hitter. Broxton hit a bomb. I mean, it was great. And, of course, you've got the legend of Eric Kratz growing bigger and bigger all the time. The 38-year-old backup became the oldest position player to make his postseason debut since Lave Cross in 1905. Yes, Lave Cross. I believe that's not a misprint. I believe that's not Dave Cross. I believe it's Lave Cross. Great story. Great team chemistry. They are rolling right now, and boy, I just... don't want to jinx it. And of course, uh Scott Oberg, <laughs> the donkey of the day. There it was, top six, game still in the balance, two out, two nothing Milwaukee. They got runners in second and third. Balk drops the ball while on the rubber. Dope. Then after it's 3 0, thanks to balking and a run. Wild pitch 4 0. Good job, Oberg. You're you're doing a great job out there. Thanks. Thanks a lot for that. And I know that a lot of people said, that's bullshit, man. Why should that be a balk? Why should a run come in on that? Such a crucial run at a crucial time, really? But according to the baseball nerds, there was like three different things that he could have done to cause a balk in that situation. A balk. That's not one of the weirdest rules out there. I have no idea what is. Real quick, college football, best upset of the weekend, had to be Texas over Oklahoma in the Red River rivalry they don't call it the shootout anymore actually the red the red river showdown is what they call it now and it was a kicker named dicker with the game winner for texas
0: cameron dicker from 40 yards away
1: for university of texas red river immortality Dicker, the kicker, as Gus Johnson went crazy on that one. Um, Cam Dicker is his name. 40-yard field goal, nailed it. He's a good-looking kid, and they caught him in a moment in which he kind of cocks his head on the sideline. I saw this gif. He's like, hey, what's up, man? I'm the kicker. My name is Dicker. You want to meet after the game? Because I'm about to win this bitch for Texas. By the way, it was not the biggest upset of the weekend, LSU got upset by going down to the swamp on a day in which they unveiled a special Tim Tebow jersey retirement and a sign up in the upper reaches of that stadium, which obviously got a huge pop from the crowd. A lot of people had LSU on upset alert. A lot of people saw that one coming. Some people thought that Notre Dame was on upset alert going to Lane Stadium and Virginia Tech at night. Uh, A very tough place to play. And her Sandman? Nope. Pretty much destroyed Virginia Tech in that one. Big flop for Virginia Tech. Biggest upset of the day, and this was a dagger. (laughs) I found out about this in a funny way. I'm there at the bar eating wings with my boy, One Account, at Hollywood Casino, and a guy sits down next to us. He's got a purple shirt on. I turned to my left, and I thought at first he was an LSU fan. And I quickly saw that he was a JMU shirt, you know, and it had the Duke's Bulldog logo on it. I go, oh, man, I thought for a second you were an LSU fan. It would have been a bad day for you guys. And he goes, oh, no, it was a bad day. And I go, why? He said, we lost to Elon today. And I'm like, Elon? The highly ranked FCS program that is James Madison, in fact, number two ranked FCS program, or one double A, as I call them, as you call them, as everyone's called them for years. Um, <laughs> yes, they lost to Elon who was a 37.5-point underdog. 27-24 was your final. Davis' cheek hit Avery Jones with a minute 17 remaining. It ended the Duke's record 20-game Colonial Athletic Association winning streak. It was, according to VegasInsider.com, the largest upset point spread-wise of this college football season. Even bigger than Old Dominion stunning Virginia Tech as a 28-and-a-half point underdog. And the Phoenix's win, that's Elon, was the third biggest Vegas point spread upset ever. The biggest one occurred last year. Howard defeated UNLV in football 43-40 as a 45-and-a-half point underdog. And in 2007, Stanford beat USC 24-23 with, I'm pretty sure, a young Jim Harbaugh as coach over Pete Carroll. They won 24-23 in 2007 when entering as a 40 and a half point underdog. That's amazing. I I knew that Harbaugh took over that Stanford program at Loeb. I had no idea they would be a 40 point. That's a that's a conference game. Or as they would say in the Big Lebowski, that's a league game, Smokey. 40 and a half points and Stanford beat USC 24. To 23. So sorry to all my JMU friends for a dagger of a loss this weekend. Not as bad as David Price, though. He now drops to 0 and 10 in the postseason. And the Boston Red Sox have David Price on their books for the following years. Thirty one or the following amounts thirty one mil, thirty two mil, thirty two mil, thirty two mil each of the next four years. He's got a player option on each remaining year. I don't think he's going to opt out of his deal. David Price in the postseason continues to, as Homer Simpson once said in the Simpsons, suck the biggest suck that ever sucked a suck. All right, that'll do it for me. God, it's one fifteen in the morning. I know I've left a lot of stuff from the weekend, on the table. Didn't get to it. I will tomorrow, I promise. Redskins Saints, Monday night, Andy Pollin has promised me he will be awake as the final horn goes off, so we'll have live, fresh post game tomorrow morning on Redskins and Saints. Thank you for starting your day out with me for the Zabe Cast. your essential 45 minutes of me. If you can't listen to any of me during the day, whether it's on Bob and Brian at 9 a.m. on 1029 The Hog in Milwaukee, whether it's for me for three hours, Uh, from 4 to 7 p.m., normally on the Team 980 here in D.C. We'll be two hours on Monday night because of the pregame show. Then by all means, download and subscribe to this podcast and listen every day. Thanks for listening, everybody, and we will see you tomorrow. Glenn Fittick's Riches 25 campaign aims to challenge the historically unitary and largely misinterpreted vision of wealth and what it means to live a life of riches that is commonly displayed in culture. Riches 25 breaks from the single malt scotch whiskey norm and helps redefine what it means to be rich. The launch of the Glenn Fittick Riches 25 is a curation of 25 individuals that challenge traditional notions of wealth and express an alternate idea of what it means to live a life of riches. For me, it's about fulfilling work and flexibility in my time and nobody breathing down my neck except for you. Jen. And when there's too much breathing, I reach for my Glenfiddich 23. I want it to be old enough to have its own scotch if it wants to. Skillfully crafted, enjoy responsibly. Glenfiddich 2021 imported by William Grant & Sons, Inc. New York, New York.